Turn we're back in Luke 1. Pick up uh, in verse 26 where we left off last week as you're turning there. Uh, one other thing to mention. We, um, in addition to having our family meal next week, we will receive our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for Global Missions. And uh, if you aren't familiar with um, the Lottie Moon offering uh, every year at Christmas time, churches in the Southern Baptist Convention take up a specific offering that's designated wholly to global mission. And so uh, we, along with 40-something thousand other churches, will pool our resources um, in this offering, in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and all of that money will go to the field. None of the money is kept uh, in the states for administrative expenses or uh, different things, of the promotion, things like that. Uh, those expenses are covered through other channels, and this uh, this offering goes 100% to the field. And we've <coughs> we partner with um, workers in some uh, difficult places in the world, and we see the firsthand benefit of these types of gifts. And so, we want to encourage you to uh, to give intentionally and to give sacrificially. So pray about it. Um, uh, I would encourage you not to just, hey, there's a 20 laying in my in my console, in my truck, that's what I'll give, but actually be strategic in how you're going to give. Um, and even think creatively, uh, if that means uh, the children get one present nixed out of the Christmas giving, uh, sorry children, um, then maybe that's a way that you can give. And just to heighten a reality of we want to partner with uh, with our workers who are overseas, but ultimately partner with God and what he's doing in making the gospel known among the nations. And so that's, this is one way that, um, that we uh, accomplish that task. So that'll be, uh, that'll be next Sunday uh, in addition to our family meal. All right, continuing our Advent series uh, this morning from Luke chapter 1. Last week, <clears throat> we considered the idea that um, in Advent, the silence was broken as... Uh, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. And this, this concept of Advent uh, through church history, is, it, it's, it's carried the idea of coming, where uh, the first coming of Christ was longed for, was waited for. And so for generations, people waited for Christ to come. And we are still in a season of Advent as the church. We're simply waiting on the second coming of Christ for the return of Christ where all things are made new and all things are made right. And in the in-between time, we wait and we long for. And so there's this anticipation in Advent, this waiting, this longing. Um, we're waiting for, uh, the, as they were in this day, and Luke's, uh, as Luke is writing here, and Mary's days we'll see this morning, waiting for uh, God to move, God to speak. We saw last week that God spoke and broke the 400 years of silence. And in fact, God is the only one who can set things in, in motion. And so as we'll consider this story this morning, at the perfect moment it happened. What God's saints had longed for finally happened. And it happened in the incarnation. God became man. And God did so at the time and the moment and in the situation that was perfectly according to His plan. So listen to... Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 as we prepare to look at Luke 1. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent his son at the perfect moment in human history. 
when God's sovereign orchestrating of world events had directed and prepared peoples and nations for the incarnation and the ministry of Christ and for the proclamation of the gospel, Christ came. And God had set this moment, as we'll see in our text, God had set this moment on the calendar. When the beginning began, this appointment was on the Father's calendar. Everything is ready, the stage is set, all the pieces are in place. There's a tyrant king named Herod. There's a childless old priest and his barren wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth. There's an unknown peasant carpenter named Joseph. There is a teenage fiancé named Mary. Everything is set for this moment to occur. Remind of the situational background of Luke 1. There's been silence up to this point. There's been no word from God for 400 years. And God's people have been waiting, hoping. Praying, silence remains. God's appointed spiritual leaders are wrecked by tradition, hypocrisy, and often corruption. God's people are living under the rule of Herod the Great, who was a tyrant, a manipulator. And our story from last week Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren, but God stepped into the story of their lives as an old husband and wife and said, You're going to be with child and so they are now with child and she Elizabeth is now about six months along as we'll pick up here in the story so Luke chapter 1 we'll pick it up verse 26 and read through verse 38 in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was barren, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We confess these are your words and this is your story. Help me to preach this rightly. Help us to receive this rightly. And then help us to respond to your word rightly. Lord, even as we are reminded of the culmination of the first advent, we long for the second advent when Christ will come again. Until then, may we be found faithful as Mary was faithful and respond in ways like she did. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the glorious gospel and the way this story unfolds even through our text this morning. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So we looked last week, Advent silence is broken. This week we're looking at Advent, God is moving. And what a what I want us to see from the text, what, what lifts from the text here, is that God is the one who is doing everything 
in this text. If you think about Zechariah's text, even from last week, Zechariah's going about his faithful duties as a priest, and God intervened and started orchestrating things to fulfill his plan. The same thing is happening here with Mary. And so the first thing that we'll see in the text is God's sovereign initiative. God's sovereign initiative, verses 26 through 30. First you see in verse 26, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. Notice that just the detail that Luke is recording here in these statements. So Gabriel is sent from God. He's, he's literally on a mission from God. Goes to Galilee to, a, to, a, to, to Nazareth and goes to a virgin. And so the story... The story of the announcement of the coming Messiah begins with from God. God is taking the sovereign initiative here. History is moving along, generation after generation, and God steps in, taking the initiative in the next stage of the fulfillment of his plan. And so so what happens here in this sovereign initiative, Gabriel is sent to an unknown place. This unknown place is Nazareth. And remember, Luke is writing to this, to this Gentile ruler. We don't know much about him, but we know he doesn't have a very distinct Jewish background. And so he includes different details to help uh, Theophilus understand, to, to be certain of the things that he'd been taught, if you read the beginning of the book. And so Luke says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So Theophilus probably didn't know where Nazareth was, so he says, a city in Galilee. He knew the region but probably not the city. So what about Nazareth? It's halfway in between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. It's not on. Nazareth was not on any main trade route. Nazareth was not an important city, as we know from Luke's identification here to Theophilus. There's no mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament. There's no religious significance of Nazareth in the Old Testament. It's not the epicenter of Jewish heritage, thought, or culture. It's just Nazareth. And so Gabriel is sent to this unknown place. Matthew 4.15 refers to Galilee as Galilee of the Gentiles, not Jews. Remember, Nathanael says of hearing word of Jesus coming from Nazareth in John 1.46, can anything good come from Nazareth? So you kind of get the picture here. God's setting this sovereign initiative and he's sending Gabriel to an unknown place, Nazareth. So God's sovereign initiative, and then we also see, secondly, God's sovereign choice. We see God's sovereign choice in sending Gabriel to an unknown person named Mary. So he sent, him to an, sent Gabriel to an unknown place, Nazareth, and he sent to an unknown person, Mary. So we were introduced to her in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so what do we know about Mary? That's it right there. This is what we know about her. We know her name. We know just by context, by what's going on, especially in the later parts of the story, uh, she was a common person, likely poor. Uh, when, she, when it was time for her purification, after Jesus was uh, consecrated at the temple in, in chapter 2, they all, she and Joseph offered two birds instead of a lamb, which that was kind of a caveat in the law that was for the peasant people who, who didn't have the means to, to offer the greatest sacrifice. The law allowed for you to offer two birds, and so they offered two pigeons for uh, their purification. Notice the text indicates no intrinsic worth on Mary's part. There's no mention of her piety, of her holiness, of her status, her skill, her prominence. 
She's, we know she's betrothed to Joseph. She's legally pledged to be married. And at this point, knowing the culture of the day, she's more than likely a teenager. Probably 15, 16, most scholars believe. And in those days, the, the betrothal period, the legal pledging of one another was a binding commitment. Such that families exchanged gifts with one another saying, hey, we're in this. And this is the cost. The couple did not live together yet. And, but however, this, this engagement period was a commitment that was not to be broken. And we see this, and if you know the, the other part of the story, when Joseph finds out, oh, wait, she's with child? Joseph was going to divorce her. You had to go through legal proceedings in order to break this engagement. It's not, it's not similar to engagement in our day. Engagement in our day, a dude gives a gal a ring and says, hey, will you marry me? Well, if they make it until the day they say I do, they can get married. But any time in between, like the only thing that's on the table is potentially a ring, right? No, this is a contractual agreement between two families. And so what we know very little about Mary, but God knows everything about Mary, which is an important point of the story. So look at what goes on here. Verse 28, and he, Gabriel said to her, greetings of favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She's been given grace. It's, it literally means, greetings, O graced one. And so she has, she, has, she has the favor of God, but she also has the presence of God. The Lord is with you. And there's this question, so, so why is she favored? One, there's, there's, there's an indication here that, that she's, she's living a life devoted to the Lord, but she's also favored because she's about to give birth to the Son of God, which is a huge dose of favor. And so then, what's her response? Verse 29, similar to Zechariah, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. I mean, angel appears in the middle of her life and says, you, the Lord is with you, O favored one. She's troubled at this saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so this verse 29 shows us about this sovereign choice. God coming to an unknown place, Nazareth, coming to an unknown person, Mary, this sovereign choice here, it, indicates that Mary has a sense of humility. She wasn't entitled to an angel appearing. And so her surprise is shock. Uh, Her response is shock. It's fear. She's surprised. And so Gabriel will have nothing of it, and he says, don't be afraid. There's no reason to fear here. You have found favor with God. Verse 30, the Lord is with you. So God's sovereign initiative, God's sovereign choice, and then thirdly, we see God's sovereign declaration. In this moment, you see God's sovereign declaration. What we're going to see in verses 31, 32, 33. There's nothing conditional in what's going on here. There's no if statement. There's no, Mary, if you will submit to this, then. If you will agree to this, then. If you will do this, then. It's all God's sovereign declaration. There's a declaration of certainty. And so the angel said to her, you have found favor. And so verse 31 And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You have found favor. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. You see, Gabriel's just basically making statements to Mary of what is happening. Informing her of how this thing is going to unfold. And so God in his sovereignty is declaring what is coming. 
But think in this moment, just similar as, as we saw in Zechariah's moment with Gabriel, where these dots would have just started connecting with, with the words of Micah, and, oh wait, the son we're going to have is the predecessor to the son, who's the Messiah who's coming, and this rejoicing that would have occurred there. And the same had to have happened with Mary as she's hearing these words from the angel Gabriel. She would have connected a dot in her mind to words like Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What an important moment for Mary. The story, however, is not about Mary. The story is not about Mary. The story is about Jesus. And so these definitive statements following in verses 32-33, He will be great. Gabriel says about the son that Mary is going to conceive. Keep in mind, like let's, let's not forget the context. Mary is engaged to Joseph, but she's not been with Joseph. There's no marriage consummation that has occurred, and so she is still pure and without any, any kind of relationship with a man, and she's really confused at this point, like we get that, but there's this echoing from Isaiah 7.14, whoa, the... Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then, out of that, there are these statements that are coming from Gabriel that's telling Mary, hey, this is the son that you're going to have. One, he will be great. The contrast to John, as we saw last week, remember verse 15 of chapter 1 said that John will be great before the Lord. In the pronouncement of the son that Mary's going to have, Gabriel says he will be great, intrinsically. Who he is, is great. So this child's greatness is intrinsic. It's within him. It's who he is. So he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And so you see, even in this moment, there's there's a reality of the incarnation, deity and humanity becoming one, where he's the son of the most high, which points to deity. If you go back to verse 31, Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, a a, a person, like a real person. You're going to give birth to a baby. A, a person, but this person is God. He is the Son of the Most High. So deity and humanity in one person. So he'll be great, he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. It's a, f- a fulfillment of the commitment between David and God from Second Samuel chapter 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so Gabriel says to Mary about the son she's going to have. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. What did they all want? They wanted the, the, the fulfillment of what King David was a picture of. Also, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Who is the house of Jacob? It's, the, it's God's people, the people of Israel. And so he will reign over the people of Israel forever. And then lastly, he says, of his kingdom there will be no end. So there's this everlasting dominion that comes with this son that Mary is going to have. Daniel 7.14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so Gabriel says, you're going to bear a son, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So all these statements that Gabriel is... Let's not forget. The role of Gabriel in this story is to simply be the spokesperson, spokesangel for God. Right? 
So the perfect moment in time, God the Father said, okay, Gabriel, go to Zechariah, tell Zechariah this, speak these words. Gabriel does what God tells him to do. That's the, folk, that's the purpose of angels, right? Six months later, God, God the Father says to Gabriel and says, go to Nazareth to Mary and tell her this, these specific words. And for Mary, a, a God follower to this point, who would have surely known the, the prophecies pointing to the Messiah and, and these different uh, realities of what they were anticipating, all these dots would have just started connecting in her mind. And so we see that in these first two statements that Gabriel makes about this son that she's going to have, he's referring to who he is. He's intrinsically great. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. That's who he is. That's, that's, that's the core of this baby that you're going to have. He, he's great because he's God, and he's the son of the Most High because he's God. He's deity. You are going to have the son of God. First two statements point to who he is. The last three statements refer to what he will do. And you, you kind of get an air of dominion, of kingdom here, if you think about those last three statements. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And so she's, she's hearing, okay, this is who he is. This is also what he will do. And this is done. And all of these, all of these things were enacted by declaration. God's sovereign declaration. God declared these things to happen. And they began to happen. Similar to, let there be light. And there was light. It's the same authoritative word that's coming forth from God that is coming into the life of an unknown peasant girl in an unknown place to bring in the one that they've all been longing for. And so God's sovereign initiative here, He's moving. God's sovereign choice, He's choosing Mary. And she brings really nothing to the table in terms of credentials as we would consider. God's sovereign declaration and then, number four, we see God's sovereign action. God's sovereign action. Mary's response is simple and understandable, right? Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Because I'm a virgin. Like, she understands the biological reality of having babies, right? And she's confused at this point. But note what is different here about her response versus Zechariah's response. Remember, Zechariah says, mm, How's this going to happen? Because I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. And there's a tinge of doubt on Zechariah's response because Gabriel gives a punitive miracle, a miracle of, of punishment, if you will, and says, okay, you're not going to be able to say anything. And so he comes out of the temple, just can't speak at all. However, there's no rebuke from Gabriel toward Mary. And so it's kind of, it's, it kind of carries the idea that she has, this is a genuine question of, I don't understand. Not, I'm doubting what's going on, but, okay, I'm with you, but how's this going to happen? Like, there's, there's something that has to happen. And so there's larger, and, and so what Gabriel is, is, is communicating to her is that there's a larger issue at work than just having a baby. The unfolding events point to the incarnation, God becoming man. And God enters His creation as part of creation without being created and without ceasing to be God. And so there's two responses that Gabriel gives to Mary in this sovereign action of God. She says, how's this going to happen? And verse 35, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What is he saying? 
God will perform this sovereign action. God is going to accomplish this. Another contrast with John. John was, remember we talked about this just briefly last week. Hopefully it stirred kind of some curiosity in your mind. That, that John was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Right? This child here, however, is conceived by the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Like categorically different. Why fulfill the plan this way? Why does it have to happen where the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you? It's because of the next statement there. Therefore, in verse 35, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Two things. One, this baby has no sin. The child to be born will be called Holy. You see, when John the Baptist came into the world, he needed the one who he was preparing the way for. Right? He needed Jesus just like his mama and his daddy and just like Jesus' mama needed Jesus. Jesus comes in with no sin. This baby has no sin. He will be called holy. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Him who knew no sin. 1 Peter 2.22 He committed no sin. 1 John 3.5 In him there is no sin. Sinless. This baby has no sin. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy Therefore, the child to be born will also be the Son of God. This baby has no sin. This baby has no earthly father. This baby is the Son of God. This baby has a unique fatherhood no one else has. It's because God is his father as the Son. And so God's sovereign declaration is fulfilled by God's sovereign action. You see, the angel said to Mary, He will, He will, He will. And then, More definitive statements, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. In other words, his response is, God's got that covered. Right? I mean, you can just kind of get you kind of get her curiosity in this moment. Uh, okay. I I mean, Messiah is coming. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to use me. How's it gonna happen though? And Gabriel's response is, God's gonna do it. (laughs) God's gonna take care of this. He's going to move by sovereign action. And so, he's, and so what is God doing here? Just as we talked about with John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, God is working outside the realm of human limitation to fulfill his divine plan of redemption. God is perfectly capable of working outside of the normal way of operating, and that's what we see here. And notice that there's, there's an element of, it's kind of a weird insertion into the story, but there's a, there's a, a confident grace booster for Mary in verse 36. Gabriel says to her, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with her who was called barren. Which like points to the fact God did that. Now, just wait, because God's going to do the same with you. Just an affirming of the things that Gabriel is speaking are actually going to come to pass. And she knows Elizabeth. She's, she's related to Elizabeth. She knows Elizabeth is old. She knows Elizabeth is barren. And they've been without child for all their lives. And now she's pregnant. Like, the only way that can happen is God. Which is an, an, an assuring moment for Mary. So God's sovereign initiative. God began to move. God's, Gabriel was sent from God. God's sovereign choice. He chose Mary, not because of what she brought to the table. God's sovereign declaration, he will and you will. 
And then this sovereign action where God, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And to be clear here, Mary needed the son that she was going to birth into this world just as much as you and I need the son that she birthed into this world. There were no exemptions applied to Mary. She was a sinner and needed redemption that was going to come in Christ. And so that in, in that sovereign action, God is performing these things to make that redemption possible. And so the statement in verse 37, nothing will be impossible for God. I mean, what is, what is she thinking? I mean, that sounds good. And you're an angel, but it's still crazy. And then the angel says to her, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible with God. And so what, how does Mary respond? How does Mary respond? Verse 38. And Mary said, listen to the simplicity of these words. It's so encouraging and so convicting all at the same time. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Her response points to who she is. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Her response points to what she will do. Let it be to me according to your word. (laughs) Her life was forever altered by one moment. Consider possibly, maybe she had the perfect dream and plan for her life. God sovereignly, in a moment, redirects her life. She had... Plans and dreams for this wedding that was going to occur and this family that they were going to build together. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up and God changes everything. Her trajectory and her life changes so that our trajectories could change. And her response, what is her response? What One word we could put over her response is obedience. She simply obeys. We're too often concerned with being inconvenienced. I mean, talk about an inconvenient moment for an engaged young lady looking forward to marriage and family and all these things. And her life just takes a massive detour as she's going to bring the Son of God into the world. And her response is simply, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So did this happen? (laughs) Did this happen in the way that we see here in the text? (laughs) Listen to, you can turn turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And verse 18. So Gabriel pronounced all of this over Mary. Mary submitted to Gabriel's pronouncement. She submitted to the will of God in the moment. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but did not know her until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Like, this happened exactly the way that God planned this to happen. This is all the sovereign design that God enacted from before creation. Did God know creating Adam and Eve would result in their disobedience? Yep. Did God know that their disobedience would require the death of His Son to atone for that sin? Yep. Did God know that generation after generation would thumb their nose at Him and rebel against Him and live as enemies toward Him? Yep. Did God know that His sovereign plan and unending love would triumph and be brought to fruition with the cry of a baby? Yeah. Yeah. And this is how he designed it. This is how he planned it. And he did this because of verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Mary needed this child. As she's watching Jesus on the cross die in agony, she needs the death that he is dying. She needs the atonement that he is paying for in that moment. As Jesus is on the cross telling John, take care of my mom, Mary needs the death that Jesus is dying on her behalf. And so do we. One baby born in the history of man was completely and absolutely sufficient to atone for our sins. And it's this baby. And it happened according to God's plan. Everything's set. And in the quietness of a moment in Mary's life, Gabriel comes in and says, hey, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be Jesus. And her response? I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You think she maybe had a few questions bouncing around in her mind in the moment? You think there was the, mm, I wonder what so-and-so is going to think about me. I mean, she's going to be with child before the marriage is consummated. Let's not make light of the reality. I wonder what Joseph is going to think about me. I wonder how this is going to play out with family. Am I going to be ostracized? 
God is going to become a baby and I'm going to carry this baby. What, what if I mess it up? Just all of these motherly thoughts that would have surely come into our mind. And over all of those things, God's sovereign plan is just rolling. It's just happening. Why? So that He alone gets the glory through this event. Mary's not worthy of our worship. Mary's worthy of our respect. Right? Admiration, for sure. That simple statement in verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is a response that should push us to our knees. She's not worthy of our worship. The child she's bringing into the world is worthy of our worship. And she, through this child, is able to worship this child. Because she'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Advent, God is moving. The good news is, God is still moving. God is still perfectly fulfilling his plan. It may seem as if all hope is lost. The world is in disarray, chaos, similar to their day, and then, boom, it happens. There's an appointment on the calendar when the second advent will be culminated, when the second coming of Christ will happen. And we long for that day. Until that day, however, church, we say with Mary, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's stand and pray.